0: Welcome back to another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Today's guest is someone who uses her expertise to change the lives of people around the world. I'm thrilled to introduce you all to Ariana Gibson, a documentary filmmaker, mental health activist, and the founder and CEO of Stigma. Stigma is a new mental health app that uses storytelling to fight loneliness and improve mental health. In addition to the app, she has an amazing TikTok account that I can't get enough of. Through her work, Ariana has given people a safe place to publicly share their stories, ask for help, and see that they are not alone. As a mental health professional, I know firsthand how essential it is for people to have access to space like this. I'm so grateful to Ariana for the hope she is instilling in our community far and wide, and I can't wait for you to get an inside look into her work. Listen now and hear the powerful ways that Stigma app is crowdsourcing hope.
1: And it really is just about not being a replacement for treatment or therapy, but being a place we can go to feel less alone, to feel seen, to feel heard, to get living proof we're not alone. And then for people earlier on their journey of understanding their mental health, maybe to find some vocabulary and language that they didn't have before to better express how they're feeling.
0: In today's episode, you will learn the power of storytelling and its effect on breaking the mental health stigma, the role that social media can have in helping people feel connected, and how the stigma app helps people find purpose and can give them a place to heal and find hope. Welcome to another episode of Well Not Perfect. Welcome to Well Not Perfect. Today's guest, I'm very excited about. I have Ariana Gibson, she is a documentary filmmaker and mental health activist who spent her early career as a creative director and brand strategist for companies ranging from tech startups like Clear Cover to Fortune 500s. She's the founder and CEO of Stigma, a new mental health app that uses storytelling to fight loneliness and improve mental health. She's also one of the 46 of Americans who will personally experience mental illness in their lifetime and believes that the only way to normalize conversations about mental health is to be brave enough to talk about them. So here we are talking about them and it couldn't be more timely because mental health is on the rise post COVID and really trying to see how we can improve that and influence people for better, more open conversations around mental health. So thank you for being here. I wanted to just really highlight stigma and what that's about. Could you tell us more about that and why you started it?
1: Yeah, so um, stigma is a community of people that I often say are committed to kindness. Um, And the idea being that you don't have to have a mental illness to understand having a good day and having a bad day. So there are days where we have a little hope we could give, we're feeling good, we have good energy emotionally. And then other days where we're just kind of struggling Um, so we created the platform to be a way for people to get messages of hope on demand. We know that it's especially important to talk to people who share your lived experience, especially if you're talking about challenging things. And so we give people the opportunity to either watch stories of people like them. So they get living proof. They're not alone or ask for a message of hope or offer messages of hope. And the nice thing is that you can say, I want a message of hope only from people who share my lived experience, or I'll take a message of hope from anyone. And so far we're seeing that over 80% of people are hope agnostic. They are ready to take a message of hope from anyone. So it's been pretty exciting to watch people have this type of on-demand support that didn't really exist before.
0: That's amazing. And what made you come up with this idea? It's such a creative solution.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, Well, you know, there's no shortage of mental health apps. They estimate that there are over 20,000 mental health apps. Um, And a lot of them take kind of a, a more medical approach where they're trying to improve health outcomes or improve the process for people who already getting treatment or therapy or who have sort of metaphorically raised their hands to say I need some support but we know that 40 to 80, depending on the study you look at, 40 to 80% of people with treatable mental illness aren't getting treatment or support. And there are a lot of reasons why, but I wanted to create a platform and sort of a safe space for people to practice having those conversations because we know that just as a, a species sort of, we're not great at understanding or articulating exactly how we feel. And I say so much of mental health is related to being able to find the words that express accurately what you're feeling. So, you know, I I wanted to bring about a solution that would impact that area of mental health, but it was based on personal experience of being born to a father with schizophrenia. I have a son who is autistic. My husband struggles with complex PTSD, and I personally have anxiety disorder and panic attacks. So 46% of Americans will personally experience mental illness. I happen to have a family full of people navigating different things, but again, you know, you don't have to have a diagnosed mental illness to have um, dealt with a bout of depression or have felt anxious at different times. And what we're trying to do is crowdsource hope and let people know that they're not alone and that there are others who feel just like you and that we shouldn't be ashamed to talk about these things.
0: Season three of our podcast, While Not Perfect, is focused on experts in their field. And we felt that you were an expert in media and in filmmaking and content development and how that really becomes a influence or a leader in your area. How do you feel you've kind of fit into the niche of social media and filmmaking. I mean, that's such an interesting kind of niche and then to be a mental health advocate. So, you know, what are your kind of thoughts about combining all of these things and really trying to make a change?
1: Well, I'll start with saying that I think with um, social media in general, it's sort of this unwieldy, powerful thing that has like tremendous potential for good, but left in the wrong hands or with the wrong sort of incentives or motivators can actually have a really detrimental effect. And, And we know, we've seen everyone's probably seen a news headline at some point about how social media has had a negative effect on people. And so I think there's, you know, we have to acknowledge the reality that this powerful tool is not being controlled enough in a way to help people. And that's a big part of We Built Stigma where every message that is uploaded um, is moderated before it is posted anywhere publicly or shared. And the reason for that is we want to create the safest space online for people to go to talk about their mental health. And if you just have an open forum or open comment threads, even if you have moderators, there are people who will sneak in when you're not paying attention because you can't be watching 24-7. But I think as, as far as it really- relates to mental health and social media, I'm reading a a great book called Healing, and it's by Dr. Thomas Insel, who people call the nation psychiatrist, who was head of NIMH and spent years and years, decades and decades working on um, problems in the area of mental health. And the way he articulates it is that mental illness is a, a medical problem that requires a social solution. And so I did a lot of work studying the research of people like John Paciopo out of the University of Chicago who studied loneliness. And he found that um, the two most powerful ways to combat loneliness are cognitive behavioral therapy, which a lot of people are familiar with, and then reciprocal social connection. So we know that it can feel good to have just a random conversation with a stranger or hold the door for someone and they say something nice, and it's just these small exchanges that make us feel connected, even if at a sort of superficial level with people. And social connection has so much to do with people feeling connected to the world around them and feeling a sense of purpose. So they say healing requires people, place, and purpose. And I think social media has the power to provide all three of those. It just has to be utilized in the right way, thoughtfully, and with the the output in mind of how do we want people to think or feel after they engage with this platform? And that's really how I approached my work as a filmmaker. I would, you know, when I was a creative director, I would ask my teams that were building things. What do we want people to think, feel, or do when they're done engaging with this content? You always have to be aware of your audience. And so I think I've been able to translate that sort of philosophy and and process into building stigma app to say, we know we're dealing with people who are struggling with something. What do we want them to think, feel, or do when they're done engaging with whatever it is we create for them?
0: Does that go into some of your ideas about people, place, and purpose, and how those are like the three ingredients to the well-being and the healing of mental illness?
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's definitely not an idea of my own for sure. I think it's like building on the on the um, shoulders of giants. A lot of people have done things. Like if you look at Brene Brown's research, she will talk about empathy being the antidote to shame. And she says that the two most powerful words one person can say to another person are me too. And so I think when you think about the the people component, that's what it's really about. But we don't walk around the world um, with signals for what it is we're dealing with. When we go to a networking event, we might say, Ariana, founder and CEO. We don't say, Ariana, anxiety and panic attacks. But what if we did? I'm not saying that every networking event should have that. But if we could facilitate a way for people to more rapidly understand or recognize, oh, this person shares my lived experience, people feel safer. And I think safe is sort of the word that's the, um, the, the important one when it comes to place. So a place can be a virtual place. It can be an in-person place. For stigma, we do both. Twice a month, we host mental health pop-ups, and sometimes they're focused on a specific lived experience. So we're doing a transgender youth pop-up this Saturday. The next Saturday, we're doing something totally different. We've done founder pop-ups. But those are opportunities to create a safe place for people to be able to share what it's like to be them. Because in a world where you know there's a lot that's not understood about mental health, because anything you don't talk about, of course, it's not as understood as something that there are tons of stories about, and everyone's happy to share their experience with we're trying to contribute those conversations. And I think you only can capture those honest but hopeful stories when you create safe places. And then purpose is a beautiful one. So there's a lot of um, famous people who have been like Viktor Frankl, who, who was quoted as saying, like, um, it doesn't, I, I'm going to misquote it, but like, you can survive any, if you have a why, you can survive anyhow, or it's something to that effect. And again, sorry for misquoting. But the idea being that if you have something to live for, if you have a sense of purpose, it can be really meaningful. And we can look to programs like Alcoholics Anonymous that started in the 1930s. And there is a a wonderful component to that program, which includes this idea of being someone's sponsor. So if your purpose is to use the adversity you've been through, use your decades of sobriety to be able to help someone who is earlier on their journey be successful, it it gives you a, a purpose for having gone through that hard thing. And that's really something that I wanted to emulate in building Stigma App, this idea that, it is not something where it's, um, you know, sobriety maybe is counted in days or months or years that you sort of look back and say, I have this thing, but our mental health changes all the time, just like our physical health does. So like we can get a cold one day and be like, oh, I was feeling great yesterday and I did all the right things, but here it is. We have to start thinking of mental health in the same way we think of physical health. And so there are, there's a matrix that I saw that I created a visualization for because I thought it was really helpful, but it talked about how you can be absolutely floundering with your mental health. You can be absolutely flourishing. And it sometimes is about like the symptoms of your diagnosis and then sort of your perceived state of being. But the idea is that from day to day, it can change. And so when we created Stigma, I knew it was gonna be a kind of two sided marketplace in sort of the business terminology sense of things, but it's a marketplace whose currency is hope. And so one day you might be ready to offer supply and two days later you are creating demand because we all have those days. And it really is just about not being a replacement for treatment or therapy, but being a place we can go to feel less alone, to feel seen, to feel heard, to get living proof we're not alone. And then for people earlier on their journey of understanding their mental health, maybe to find some vocabulary and language that they didn't have before to better express how they're feeling.
0: Yeah. There's two things that I can really drive home in terms of how that fits into what we see as therapists in the clinical setting is because when we're running a group experience of 10, 20, or 30 people, which we do a couple of times a week, we will oftentimes start with conversations and defining the words. So today we're talking about hope today. We're talking about purpose. This is the definition we're using. What is your definition? So first making sure that we're all on the same page so that there is education, the ability to articulate how you think and feel, because when you can articulate how you think and feel other people get you better, and then they connect with you. And then there's this experience where you are learning from the people around you because they're explaining how they interpret or how they feel. And at the end of a group we'll say, you know, what did you learn today? And they won't say, Oh, I learned thought reframes or Oh, I learned how to challenge my negative thoughts. They'll say that I'm not alone. And I think it's because they intuitively know that that's the most important part of a group experience. And it needs to obviously be done in a way that everyone is learning and connecting through healthy concepts and ideas. And that, you know, it's managed in a way that is educational, right? Cause as therapists, we're trying to educate, we're trying to train, um, we're trying to support. So we need a common understanding, but then after that, people in a group get to kind of transform their connections however they choose to. And you're, you're saying a lot of what we've noticed in our last two groups, one with athletes who were 16 year old females and another group that was first generation high school graduates and very different groups. And when we do feedback surveys, all of the feedback is I'm not alone. So it's fascinating because it's completely different experiences and we get the same results every single time if we run a safe place for people to connect. So I just want to echo all of the things that you're sharing. Cause that's what we see here too.
1: I love hearing that and I think um, the exciting thing is that it feels like there's so much space for innovation. I know that it's it's a crowded market when you think about sort of support and mental health, but it just feels like the more human approach feels like it's the path forward that, that people are most attracted to. I think that's a big difference between, um, you know, getting anyone to build a new habit can be really challenging. And so sometimes you see these solutions that are like packed by science and the best research institutions there are, and some of the brightest minds on kind of the medical side of mental health. But I think what we have to make sure we do is, is attract people. And that that's marketing. That's the side of this. That's the marketing piece and the brand piece that, that matters because it's about creating something that people want to connect with. And then making sure that once they're there, once they show up, that you give them the right tools and resources. And that's really where I see Stigma app fitting is, is not in this area of improving the you know therapy experience for people who are going through it because they're beautiful companies doing great work in that space, but really in the how do we get people to feel comfortable opening up about what they're going through? And that's why we give them different options. You know, just consuming content is a way to get exposure and to learn um into just that one directional thing, but It's different than going on YouTube or going on TikTok or going on places that are unmoderated where you might get misinformation or dangerous information. We want to create a a place where it's safe, where content is vetted, and then where people can connect in sort of increasing levels of vulnerability or exposure. So if you want to talk about being a CSA survivor for the first time, but you've never verbalized it, maybe one day you feel safe enough to ask for a message of hope in text. So you still never had to say the words, But if what you get back is 10 videos of men and women of different ages and gender identities and locations in the world who are all telling a version of, you're not alone, I understand what this feels like, it signals to that person going through, like, maybe one day I could be that open. I could... I could have so little shame associated with this experience that was outside of my control and wasn't my fault that, that I could speak openly like that. And I could help someone else. And I think that's where the purpose comes in. And there's this kind of beautiful healing life cycle, but it doesn't require that you never feel bad again, or that you never become someone asking for hope when you were the one offering two months ago. Mm -hmm.
0: Was there a muse or inspiration on social that you wanted to almost like spin off of? Like, was there something that just took your art from someone else's
1: art? Was there anything out there? I mean, I will say no, but yes, because it was subconscious. So like, I would have told you like, no, definitely not. I can't think of one. And it really started with, I pitched two investors when I figured out, I I released a short film, hundreds of strangers reached out to my husband, sharing their experience as CSA survivors as well. And it turned into this thing of I have to, I can't just be a documentary filmmaker if that's my dream, I have to come up with um, some way to facilitate the type of connection that's happening for him that was asynchronous, so not live and often over text and all of that. And so I just did what I knew how to do, which was interview people. I knew that I I could make a quality looking production. And I knew that I could get people because investors were saying, I don't think people want to be that open about their mental illness. And I was like, yes, they do. I promise I'll go (laughs) prove it. So I scheduled this shoot and I put a post on my neighborhood Facebook page, which I had never posted in the Logan square neighborhood before. And I just said, I'm a local documentary filmmaker. I I want to build a mental health app, but I need to convince investors that people are willing to talk about this stuff. Here's a link to like a film I have on Amazon. I'm a real person. Email me if you're you know, willing. And I was nervous. I was worried about trolls. I was worried I was going to get violated the community guidelines, something. And I went, I was at a coffee shop and I went to the bathroom and I came back. This was May 18th, 2020, 2021. And I came back from the bathroom and it was like in a movie where it's just like the notifications, dinging ding, ding, ding. The post got over 350 engagements. It had 78 comments. People were tagging their friends going, Brit, you should do this. You always talk about mental health. And I got 50 emails in 24 hours of people saying, I'll do it. And all I was offering was a free headshot. I was like, this is the worst deal in the world. No one's going to say yes to this. And then people were like, where can I go to share this? So it was this really beautiful experience. But I say that only to say, I hadn't looked at a model on social and said like, I'm going to emulate that. I was just like, I'm going to capture stories. I knew that i wanted this async messages of hope thing to be part of it and so it wasn't until after people signed up that i thought oh shoot i should record messages of hope for them i should Mm -hmm. surprise them and then capture their reaction because what we know is like so much of like building a, a brand or a sort of an identity is about as a business is about like what is the impact you can have on people's lives what's the benefit you bring them and then how well you articulate that is a big part of branding so I was like, oh, well, I'll just do that. And so it came together in this beautiful proof of concept video that really is responsible for the, the money that I raised. And someone told me, well, I read somewhere that TikTok and LinkedIn are the last two places you can get in front, in front of strangers and not have to pay for the privilege because everything is monetized on Instagram and Facebook. And it was really like, those are kind of the final frontiers of being able to have something go a bit viral. So I posted one video on TikTok. That was me saying, this is me before I build the company that I think has the power to change the world. And it was like kind of naive, but also like, I wanted to have that, I wanted to look back on it. And the next day I posted a one minute clip of a CSA survivor, who's a man with gray hair and a Mohawk and tattoos. And it's like, just not the guy that I think people imagine would be like, let me tell you about my, you know, experience with child sexual abuse. And he's just out of the gate. He says it And that, you know, you have to hook people on social media in the first five seconds of a clip. And it's just that's how he opened, and then he talked about his experience with OCD, and it was an atypical experience. And he acknowledged his blind spot, saying, "You know, I always thought it was like in movies, like you wash your hands all the time, or you're obsessed with being clean." And then he goes on to explain how OCD presents itself in him. And so I had a friend who knew TikTok. I knew nothing, and she like kind of helped me, like, "Here's what you want to do." But it was like a, a small like intro course. And she sent me a message, and she goes, "I think this is gonna go." like kind of viral. And I was like, really? And she goes, yeah, it's getting a lot more likes and engagement than my posts usually do. And she had a lot of followers. And so that post right now is at almost half a million views. It was just like lit up and I, was, I didn't know what to do with it. And so I'm navigating the world of social media, but I think why people, like there were so many comments of, I never knew OCD could present like this. I never knew that this could be OCD. This explains so much to me. I felt that same thing. And it was a lot about like um, a deep, pressure to be on time. That was like what he was articulating. And so I think what it does for people is just him, that one minute clip made people go, okay, this isn't crazy in quotes. People will often say, I just thought I was crazy. And it's when they see like example after example of others who are navigating something similar that they feel less like a monster. And I think that that sentiment is something that is part of my soul because when I taught my father, when I was younger, people were scared. I could see it even as a kid in their eyes, they would pull back. They didn't know how to respond. And I often say you can't blame human beings for basing their opinions on things, on the lived experience they've had and the stories they consume. And when I was a kid, I was born in the eighties. When I was a kid, the only stories you could consume about schizophrenia were on law and order and the evening news. And they were never accurate representations of the, the majority lived experience of a person with schizophrenia. And so I think knowing that pain really helped with a lot of this. But I will give credit where credit is due and finally get to the answer of the question, which is that subconsciously, I must have been inspired by humans of New York, because I always loved how that account made sort of stars out of everyday people for being vulnerable. And so I think that, you know, we want to believe that we've come up with brand new ideas. But of course, it's everything's influenced by like what we've been exposed to. So I can look back and go, Oh, yeah, I was inspired by that. But not while I was building it did I think I'll make it like that. I just thought I need to prove to these investors that more than one person is willing to share their story and let it be posted publicly.
0: Yeah. I'd agree that the influence and the power of being inspired isn't always conscious, but it's there. And I think it's inspiring because I want someone to listen to you and say, Hey, I can spin off on this and do this in my high school. Hey, I can do this and I can make a campaign on my college campus. So, the idea that we're borrowing ideas from other people is something to be embraced and leaned into because we don't want people to feel like they have to create change in a vacuum and not be, you know, embracing this idea that we get inspired by one another and how exciting that is because there's so much more to what we can do with these things, you know, a filmmaker and a mental health activist, a therapist doing podcasting, you know, all of these people are starting to merge into other lanes and people are going to listen and be inspired by this. And I hope that they find creativity and they find inspiration and say, huh, you know, that idea I had might not be so bad anymore. Maybe I can go do this. My big thing right now is doing mental health and mental training for athletes and really competing for practice time to get as much attention as their physical health. So, you know, we we definitely uh want to encourage people to push into places that might not want to see mental health or, or there's stigma around it and then have them be like, "Huh. Yeah, maybe maybe there's something something more I can learn from this and changing one person's mind. That's what I hear you saying."
1: Yes, absolutely. And there's so much I want to react to because you said so many beautiful things, but I would say one to the point of being inspired to, to build the thing that you might be thinking about or an idea you have. Um, I, in 2019, my best friend was diagnosed with a, a rare and really aggressive cancer. And unfortunately, um, I we, we all lost her in May of 2020. But a big part of the reason that I did the proof of concept of the film that got the reactions that inspired me to build the app was making a promise to her that I would not wait to live the life I wanted to live, because it was just, she was a healthy person. It was out of nowhere. And it was one of those tragedies that you can't avoid, but you have to try and learn from. Otherwise you feel like you won't survive the grief. And I don't believe that I would have taken some of the steps I did if it hadn't been for that loss. And what I would want anyone listening this to this to feel is don't wait for some sign that you can't possibly ignore if you have something in your heart to do it, because it's fabulous how quickly your life can change how you can go in such a short period of time from your life looking one way that you don't want it to look to just being intentional about visualizing what that future is that you want and I I often have when I get the chance to speak at colleges um, I was asked to come back and speak at my alma mater and it was such a cool feeling to be like whoa I went from being a like a pre-med student that gave that up for film and history, which was a you know terrible life choice for money-making, um, but really filled my soul. But I don't think young people or people in general do that exercise of finding their purpose enough. So that kind of like Venn diagram of four circles, where it's, what am I naturally good at? What do I love to do? What can I get paid for? And what does the world need? And they say at the center of those circles is your purpose. And so sometimes it's what am I good at? What can I get paid for? That's a vocation. But I love the idea of doing that work. So if there are people who are listening, like do that work, take the steps because my life, I can't believe the impact. I get messages from people if I offer them hope on the platform that leave me in tears, that have me like, I can't believe that I built this thing. I can't believe that this idea I had is a real thing and it's helping people. And it, it really just requires being brave enough to take one step day after day. But if you don't know what the target or their goal is, it's really hard. So there was another thing I wanted to respond to of what you said, but I got so wrapped up in that thought I lost it. But <laughs> I want to make sure that people listening who have great ideas, bring them into the world.
0: Yeah, bring them into the world and you know, make sure that if you feel a spark of inspiration that you write it down put it on a board and woo-woo words is manifest it, but it's really hard work and putting, you know, elbow grease into it and making it happen. Manifestation is typically just a thousand little steps every day until something happens. Throughout my 10 years as a therapist, I've learned a thing or two about growth. I've had the honor of supporting clients and becoming more resilient people, overcoming obstacles and achieving their goals. What I've learned through this process is that there are five essential steps in every growth journey. With the goal of making personal growth accessible to all, I use these steps to create a planner series so that anyone can work on their growth anytime and anywhere. Each step includes pages of insight and skills from my personal and professional experiences and ends with 30 days of space for you to practice what you've learned. Personal growth isn't a quick process, but this series is designed to make it easy and fun. Learn more at www.simplybecounseling.net slash planners and be sure to check out the subscription option, which gets you a planner delivered to your door every month for the next five months. Since you're a Well Not Perfect listener, you can get 10% off on any order using code WellNotPerfect. There's no better day than today to tap into your own growth and resiliency.
1: Thought of the other thing to your point about bringing mental health into places where it usually isn't, one of the things that I think is really interesting that I'm, I'm running into is workplaces. So, um, because I'm on LinkedIn a lot and, and post there, I, I see a lot of people talking about employee mental health, and I think that there are so many companies that really want to do the right thing, but they're not sure where to start. And I think that's an area that is really ready and like desperately needs mental health to be woven into the culture. And I think it looks different for every company, but I think that's a place where it people want to resist and say, well, we can't talk about that stuff here. Um, and I think that there are a lot of fears about a lot of things, because there are a lot of components to like a person being hired and their livelihood and like employment contracts and things like that. But I think that if we, because adults spend so much time in the workplace, if we can create environments in our workplaces through a variety of efforts, that are more supportive of employee mental health, whatever that looks like, people will be so much better off because they don't have to pretend to be okay all the time at work. And that's such a burden to place on someone who's struggling, especially when you're in a, a, an in-office an in-person environment to have to put that face on that mask on to, you know, for neurodivergent people to have to mask in ways to sort of fit in that are emotionally exhausting. I think there's just so much opportunity in that space.
0: Yeah, I think that absolutely is where COVID did shine a light and actually create some opportunity for us to relook at the way that we live our human experience at work and home and the mental health and the physical health and employers taking more responsibility because they are where people spend the majority of their time and that trickles down to families. So I think that's a huge point and a, a deficit that I think mental health you know, definitely needs to spend more attention on. I think that what you're doing is just so inspiring. And like I said, this season is all about experts. And we just thought that you were an expert in media, filmmaking, storytelling, and using the platforms that are in front of people. And that's really powerful. So we just want to say thank you for being an expert in your own lane and really using all of your gifts and talents to inspire other people. And if people want to connect with you or find you, what's the best way?
1: you can join our community. We'd love that number one. So just go there and try offering hope to someone. There are plenty of people on there now. It's um, www.thestigma.app. And then our social handles are the website. So at the try to make it pretty simple. Um, but I am an open book and would love to chat with anyone. So you can email me at Ariana, A-R-I-A-N-A at the stigma.app.
0: Thank you for being on. And this is another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Thank you for listening to season three. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button and consider leaving me a review. And for more information, all things podcast, you can connect with us on Instagram at Well, Not Perfect. See you next week.